Welcome to the Tabletop Summary, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. Here are your hosts. Hello listeners and welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. I am your host Josh and... I'm Andrew. Today's guest on the submarine is Justin Bell of Meeple Mountain. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Very excited to be here today. Really excited. Yeah, we're excited too. So you're you're a uh, acquaintance friend of Andrew's. So I was excited to you know meet more people. Um, Maple Mountain is a review channel view entity that I'm very familiar with. Um, you guys do great reviews. So so I want you to just tell our listeners who may not know who you are, may not know your work, who you are, and what you're all about. So um, I am a board game. Let's, let's call it a writer in the tabletop space. I've had the chance to work with Meeple Mountain on a variety of different features, reviews, commentary over the last year and a half or so. Born out of uh, my love of, of games over the last, gosh, 30 plus years or so. Um, COVID provided some more time to give me chances to write. I love writing. And so um, Andy Matthews, who's the founder of Meeple Mountain, and I connected and... Uh, I've been able to represent Meeple Mountain at a lot of different conventions and online. So um, just really excited to have a chance to have a voice in the uh, the tabletop space. Well, we're really excited that you're here. You know, I'm excited that you're giving us you're giving us some of your time. You're probably a very busy person, but thanks for coming on a voyage with us. We're really excited to talk about games with you, but also talk about some of the stories you have based on your game experience. And as a reviewer, I'm sure you probably have a lot of great stories and played a lot of great games. Oh yeah, I think that's uh, it's really interesting right now too. And you two are aware of this: five thousand or more games now come out every year, oh. and and how do we keep up, right? So it's it's been fun to have the chance to even talk about a hundred of them every year. So excited to share more about that and, and some things that are coming up here very soon. We're so excited to hear your amazing story, Justin. But we need to get the sub ready. So how about we talk about some recently played games and head into our pre-launch? The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guest. Josh, what have you played recently? Yeah, so I actually had the opportunity to play a lot of games recently, which has been super nice. It's super unlike me. I get to design and playtest a lot of unpublished games, but not too many published games. So this was really nice to sit down and play something. I was able to play actually one of my wife's favorite games, which is Flip City. Flip City is a push-your-luck deck-building game in which you are building a little city. Um, what you do in the game, you have a like in most deck builders, you, have, you start with a certain hand of cards in your deck, and you're going through them, playing them out, and trying to score coins and score points where you can buy more cards to add to your deck, which represented by cities and buildings that have certain effects and certain, based on when they're played, they can do certain things to help you make your city more great. I'm going to use more great because I'm great at English. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what really makes this a, a fun game is the push your luck. I am a big fan of push your luck. Basically, there are on some of the cards like little frowny faces that represent sadness in your community. And if you get three or more, uh, when you play your cards, you bust and you don't get anything that round. Um, the key crux to this is, though, that some of the cards force you, you have. Basically, how this works is that each card, each card is double sided with different buildings and the buildings do different things and they're worth a different amount of coins. They are worth a different amount of sadness and you hold the deck in your hand and you just slide the top card off and keep playing. 
Um, what happens though, there's cards called residential districts, which if they show up, they, you have to play them and they always have a frowning face on them. So as you're going through your deck, you never know when you might push your luck too far and you have to play a card that has a frowning face and you suddenly have a, you know, a 18, 18 card run destroyed because you pushed your luck too much. Um, I like it. It's very fun. The, uh, the idea of being able to flip your cards to do a different ability or to buy more cards is great. It's not doesn't take too long. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It's portable, which I love in a deck builder. And it's not overwhelming to uh, maybe players who like more complicated deck builders. Um, only worry about is that there seems to be a predominant strategy of get rid of your residential districts and you're fine. But I am going to add the expansion that comes with the city that goes away, but highly recommend if you like simple deck builders or games that you can just take anywhere. That was Flip City. Uh, Justin, what have you been playing recently? Well, so I played my fourth game of a game called Imperial Steam, released by Capstone Games last year. It was designed by the same guy that gave us a game called Lignum, which I've been jokingly <laughs> calling the driest game ever made because <laughs> Lignum is a game literally about drying wood and transporting it down a, a, a very shady-looking river for points. With Imperial Steam, <laughs> you're going to get something weight-wise that is amongst the heaviest games I'll probably play this year. It's a mix of a train game, an economic game with worker placement elements. Um, it's, it's a massive table hog with um, a complete random setup with its variants, so it takes about 25 minutes to even to get under the table. Wow, wow. Super rich, though, decision-making, um, and your, your goal is to try and, and in, in the 1840s in Austria, um, uh, basically set up a train system or business that allows you to move goods from uh, various parts of the map and to build route from a starting location to a city called Trieste in Austria. So um, I, I've really been fascinated by Capstone Games. Um, I had the chance to spend time with Clay Ross, who is the president of Capstone um, at their headquarters in Ohio a few months ago. And so we are writing a publisher profile on Capstone Games. And so as part of that, we're playing every game in their collection to post reviews. So a review will go up on that pretty soon. But um, Imperial Steam, for those that really like heavy economic simulations, is absolutely worth a look wow that's yeah. and i really like what capstone is doing so that's awesome i'll have to check that out at some point yeah i mean i think with capstone you know arc nova is certainly um the, the brightest star in the sky for the capstone collection but um between older games like gaia project and terra mystica and some newer games that are coming along the pipe here really soon. Lots going on with Capstone. Yeah, they're kind of killing it right now. I mean, they're. I mean, Arc Nova just I think broke the top ten recently. Gaia Project's up there, and so is Terra Mystica. They are just they 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 found there's something in the something in the dice over there that they're they're conjuring up some fantastic games. Thank you, Justin Andrew. What about yourself? So I have been playing Foundations of Rome, which we have talked about. I wanted to get in the show for a while now, uh, and it was worth it. It was amazing. The production value, obviously, is spectacular. If you've seen any pictures about it, it's all that and more. The detail levels are ridiculous and just so much to play with, put down on the board. And it's actually a fairly simple game. It's one of those kind of games where this game could be an introductory or a gateway-level game for a lot of gamers. But it has good, crunchy decisions in it, and I think it's actually a really great game. 
I've also heard that there's rumors they're going to have uh, different other cities' foundations following this, uh, but without the same production level. So there should be some reasonably priced versions of this kind of game going forward with different other elements. So look forward to those as well. You're saying this was not reasonably priced? Is that what that means? Uh, this this base <laughs> version was not reasonable? Essentially, yeah. I think it's not the kind of thing you can pick up on your way out of Target and just throw it your cart. I don't think it, it qualifies for that. Not going to lie. If they make like a Foundations of Vegas game and it's just a bunch of like wacky casinos and little miniatures like that, I actually might consider dropping 200 bucks Because <laughs> if, if I can put the giant roller coaster in New York, New York, just out of the strip, just because I have spite for that coaster... I'd be super happy. <laughs> well, I think that's enough for our pre-launch sequences. I think we're getting ready to go on the voyage. Let's close the hatch and let's prepare to dive deep into your story, Justin. Any objections? None. Justin, we are looking forward to hearing your story. We're getting down to the deep depths of the tabletop ocean. So go ahead and, you know, spin us a yarn, tell a story, and we'll sit back and relax and enjoy it. Okay. Fantastic. So, you know, I had the chance to play, gosh, last year, I think I logged about 425 or so plays of games, which... It's probably added uh, quite a bit uh, because I'm not traveling anymore for my day job. I work in diversity and inclusion for, for a law firm. And so I think back to all the games I played from last year, and I'm really lucky. I, I have four or five different game groups that I take part in, and that's allowed me to have really different gaming experiences between lighter fare that is uh, more party game-like in nature, things like Imperial Steam, which are heavy economic simulation games. Um, I really love negotiation games, and so I had the chance last year to play one of my favorite games, a game called Sidereal Confluence. And um, Sidereal is great because um, it, it requires a really high player count. You know, sometimes you see games now, and Solo has gotten massive, right? I mean, the final girl campaign was crazy. It, it did almost $2 million in business. So people are really itching for Solo games. I'm going the other way. I love games that feature people. And I know how passionate you two are about really getting people around a table to share and experiences. In Sidereal, the game plays from four to nine players. It's released from WizKids. It's a reskin that came out, um, I guess, last year, two years ago, from a game that was released a number of years ago. And um, that is really its biggest problem. It's really hard to get four or five people who are willing to play um, abstract negotiation games. Yeah. So I played yeah. it once at five players back in 2020. I was like, i, I got to buy this game. This is a ton of fun. And then I had the chance last year to play it twice, which is really hard to believe given my circles. And I got to play it once at seven, but my favorite gaming experience of, of 2021 was I got a full nine people to play Sidereal Confluence. Impressive. And, impressive. For those of you that have never played Sidereal before, the, the, the setup is really funny, right? You're, you're varying races or alien races that have come together to do trading in the Elysian Quadrant is the subtitle for this game, which is kind of ridiculous, right? Because ultimately what you're really doing in this game is yelling at other people in timed 10-minute rounds 
to try and get various colored cubes to run engines, right? And so the game is a mix. It's got that Euro feel of quietly put your head down and push cubes around, but also yell at your friends, I need more white cubes! And you do that in this really fun, time-boxed environment. And the way it was set up in my basement, we had the nine players around three of those uh, like those six-foot tables, those folding tables you can buy at like Target or, or Costco. And um, it's a mess. You've got cards everywhere, cubes everywhere, player screens. You've got all kinds of weird uh, components that are meant to be things like oxygen or magnesium or random things. Instead, it's just really gray cubes, bigger gray cubes, white cubes, smaller white cubes. Etc. Etc. And and so there we were, right? I do the teach. The teach is crazy hard with this game because what is also included in Sidereal is that each faction has its own rules. You hear a lot in games about like true asymmetric play, but a bit like Root, the way uh, Sidereal is set up, each of the nine factions can do every single action in the game differently. And so you've got to teach the game core actions one way and then you have to tell everyone now look at your player board and then flip it over those are your rules good luck so (laughs) i had to teach this game to eight new players they've got to learn one system they got to learn their own system and then when i say go five times or six times in the game you have to just yell at everybody for 10 minutes to try and walk around and get the things you need to run the engines that score you points to win the game in addition, one of the nine factions is evil. Basically, this person, and I took on this role because I felt good being that person, allows for uh, you to rob other players at the end of the trading phase. So if you don't trade with that person, they're just going to rob you anyway. So I was basically holding other friends of mine over a barrel. You can give me those those cubes now, or I'm just going to snatch them from you later. It's kind of your call. And so the yelling... And the anger and the cubes and the mess. And it was winter, and so I had a fireplace on in the basement. It was hot, so people like were taking off sweatshirts because it was it was too hot down there. It just ended up being a really fun experience, but I think it was centered around the people. And I think that's why I love having these kinds of experiences with, with others, right? I like to have the chance to um, look at others across the table and, and, and talk things through. And negotiation games especially are great for that. I really don't like the idea of playing a game in like Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia. Board Game Arena did the job for a while, right? And they have a great catalog. But ultimately, Tabletop is about sitting at a tabletop and sitting with your friends and family. And Sidereal gives you an experience like almost no other game does. No, no pun included, named it their best game. I think of 2017 or 16, whenever the fir- game first came out. And... I'm really excited because WizKids has announced that there will be an expansion coming later this year, early next. I think it's called Bifurcation, which I think is a terrible name, but it doesn't matter to me. It's it's more sidereal confluence and more chances to gather friends of mine around the table to just yell and scream for more cubes for a couple hours. Just a ton of fun. I think that's great. And I think the industry as a whole is struggling with this whole higher player count thing because the demand is definitely there for it, especially for not party games, but like serious games that have a higher player count. And that's something that's really hard to actually make happen. Yeah. So 
game has its own niche and its own sweet spot. And if it's as good as you say it is, which I haven't had a chance to try, but I definitely need to now. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a really cool thing. And you mentioned, you know, tabletops, uh, simulator and board game arena and stuff like that. And those things are great as a way of a band-aid when you can't, or, you know, get you a chance to learn a game that you'd like to, but it doesn't replace being at the tabletop with all your friends and family and all the people like that. And I think Josh, you'd probably agree. That's just so much more fun. Yeah, no, it really is like, uh, are you tabletop simulator is never my preferred or even board game. It's not my preferred method of playing games. I use tabletop simulator or tabletopia to do my own designs. Cause it's really good to iterate there, but mm-hmm. sitting around a tabletop just has a different feeling. Because, you know, you're you're there present with some people. You're having an experience together. It's not, you know, you can see them. You can hear them. You know, you can smell them sometimes. <laughs> and it's just so much more visceral. Yeah. But to your point, you know, there really aren't a lot of high player count serious games. Like two come to mind with three, I guess. And one, Sidereal Confluence, um, Twilight Imperium, and then yeah. Eclipse maybe. Yeah. Like, And they're all space games. It's actually interesting no- too. That's that's funny you say that. I I, I have played a full p- player count game of Eclipse, the second dawn version, and um, you get that there as well. I will I'll throw in that um, because we're trying to cover all of the BGG top one hundred on Meeple Mountain. Uh, we reached out to Asmodee and they sent us a copy of a game uh, called Caverna, and with Caverna you can actually play that with seven players. So. For fans of a Agricola cool. that want to scale that up, I didn't realize this, but uh, you can do a full seven-player game of, of Caverna and still get that high strategy opportunity uh, with, with people. So with, with these you know, high-player count, more serious games, we don't see a lot of them, but they have their niche, definitely, for sure. So you know, what, why do you think that these games aren't flourishing as much as, say, you know, you know a party game like Poetry for Neanderthals or even something like Super Fight. Like what what holds these games back from, you know, becoming the go-to party games? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think I think that um, ultimately I think analysis paralysis makes it harder to get 5 6 players or more together. And that's why I think Sidereal is, is is kind of unique. It's it's interesting having timed rounds being what drives the negotiation because otherwise I think in the wrong hands a nine player anything could take a long time. But by forcing yeah. the hand and saying there has to be a timer in the room to, so that we know that, that we time block that allows for a nine-player game to be done in two hours. Even a game like Caverna, um, the instructions indicate that it'll take about 30 minutes per player. So not everyone has three, three and a half, four hours or more, right, if you include mm-hmm. a teach, to sit around the table and do that and make those kinds of decisions. Um, I, think, I think also there's a level around components, right? I, I have a game called Orléans. Or, or Orleans, as it looks in writing. And um, they added a fifth-player box to that, but then that adds just a crazy amount of stuff. And sometimes charging more for more stuff becomes hard. Uh, not everyone has, you know, Andrew money that they can drop on things like Foundations of Rome. So to keep the MSRPs reasonable, you keep player counts uh, lower, too. I'd also say, too, there's a game that just came out um, from, from Osprey, I guess, called... Crescent Moon, and I've finished some review plays yes. of it, um, and it's very good, but I think that uh, I heard someone else say this, and I agree. It's a five-player game with a four-player variant. It's really hard, I think, to get exactly five people around the table. 
getting two people, three people together, especially in the COVID times, a little easier to, to manage. That's why this nine-player game of Sidereo was such a highlight for me from last year. Yeah, I, that's a... You know, that's a really great point that you bring up. You know, when I'm at my game store, and I think I may have talked about this before, people look at the game Dune a lot because you know, the movie just came out. It's kind of a hot IP right now. And they ask about, oh, what's this game? Is it Dune? And to preface this, Dune is one of my favorite games. It's what introduced me to hobby. Me and Andrew have talked about this before. But I never, especially... The first question I asked when people look at Dune is like, hey, what games do you like to play, first of all? And it's like, oh, we love Monopoly and you know, Ticket to Ride. And it's I was like, that's the first question. That's not going to stop me from recommending the game to somebody. But, you know, there's a huge difference between Dune, like the complexity of Dune and the complexity of Monopoly. So, But that's the first threshold. Second threshold that I always tell them is like, okay, well, how many players do you generally have when you're playing games? And they usually say, okay, around two or three. Well, Dune, I may be unpopular in this play, but Dune does not play well with anything below five. Yeah, it really doesn't. You can you can maybe get away with four if you do the right houses, but you really want to have all the houses you can in there, even to six or seven for a longer game with some of the expansions, because the way the game is designed is that all of the houses break the game, and but they break the game together so it's not broken. Yeah, if that makes any sense at all. You're talking about the original, like the 70s version that was reskinned Dune, not Dune Imperium, but the old version yeah. of the game. Yeah, the old war game Dune, where you know you're on Arrakis, you're playing different house factions. Not not Dune Imperium. It's uh, I haven't actually played Dune Imperium yet because I just haven't had the opportunity. But the old old fashioned OG Dune uh, is very is such a fragile game that if you don't have the right houses breaking the right parts of the game it becomes very unbalanced and unfun which is a flaw of the game but if you get to that right harmonious five six seven player count it's absolutely incredible mm-hmm. and you know when people want to look at the game that's why i tell them it's like if you're not if you're not having a consistent group of five playing this game it's going to be hard for you to get this to your table i never discourage them from buying it but i lay it out in front of them like this is a game that's going to require a lot of players and a lot of commitment from you in order to make it great uh Andrew, do you have any experiences like that with games about, you know, maybe higher play count games or games that work better at higher player counts? I mean, I own a few of them, um, but they rarely ever get played. I just don't have those kind of game nights, and I really wish I did. I mean, I may need to uh, give Justin a call more frequently. Um, but that said, you haven't had a chance to play Ethereum, I recommend it. It's actually really good. Um, I'm not going to go on about it, but it's definitely worth your time. And it's the kind of Dune experience you can have with two, three, four, and not have to have that higher player count. So I think they both take the same IP, but take different approaches to player counts and are both really good at the different levels. So if you have somebody who only has two or three people, then I think Dune Imperium is the way to go. I need to give it a try for sure. I mean, it's, uh, we can talk about the Dune IP forever and how wonderful it is. It, it's just one of those things like I just haven't had the time to do. And I've been trying to decide, do I want to go with, you know, Lost Ruins of Arnak or Dune Imperium? Probably Dune Imperium because I like the Dune theme better, but that's you know, neither here or there. It, uh, Dune Imperium plays up to five still, though, or is it up to four? I don't know off the top of my head. That's a good question. There's an expansion, Rise of X, that I, I have not played. I've played the base game. I thought the base game played four. That's a good question. Well, I'll have to figure it out later. But, you know, going back to this idea of you know higher player count games, you know, Justin, you've played way more games than probably me or Andrew because it's your, <laughs> your job as a reviewer. 
you know, with these higher player count games, they probably they don't come along nearly as often as the lower player count ones. Have you seen maybe a game that could benefit from, you know, higher player counts or games you wish you could see go to a higher player count or things of that nature? You know, I, I think that what I've noticed, and I'm just thinking of my experience with Imperial Steam over the last few plays, I'm not so sure I would necessarily need more players, but I, I, I prefer games that are just generally a little bit tighter. And so a lot of the Euros that I've had the chance to review were just play in my personal time. Um, or even like a game like an Eclipse, which um, is really, really uh, just a ton of fun if you've got the full player count, because then everything is just very crowded. I, I like the word crowded maybe more than anything else, and I think that's why the nine-player scenario game is so much fun. Everything is really tight. Um, you need to work with other people to survive. When when I, we played the three-player version of Imperial Steam... The, the map is, I think, a little too big. Whereas at four-player, it's just tighter. So I would always be down with adding more players if you have the chance to um, really crowd the space and make decisions more difficult. Um, I love that. And I love I love forcing players into that slightly uncomfortable place of, you know, I can't just run around free here. Uh, i got to take into account a lot of things around the board state every turn. Uh, to survive. Um, so I really enjoy that. Yeah, so I guess that begs the question, what makes a good large player count game? Is it, you know, n- short, narrow decisions, or is it broad strategic a broad strategic landscape? For me, I think the best large player count games revolve around a race of some sort. Like, whether it be a race to, you know, a, get to somewhere, like in uh, F1 Formula Racing or Horse Racing or something like that. Um or racing to get to a specific moment, like who can get, you know, the most cubes accomplished. Those are probably the games I think play best for player counts because then you got people getting each other's way, blocking each other, you know, cutting each other's knees out from under them. That's just really interesting. I, what would make those kinds of games more interesting? I think that because so many games are designed for that. Uh, well, well, whatever we call the standard player count, I think it's four players. I think most games I have sent to me um, start there. What's realistic? And I think to Andrew's point, it's hard to get five or six people. In fact, I still haven't played Crescent Moon at exactly five because it's I have to get exactly the people that know the rules back to the table each time, and that's been hard. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think it's just maybe a designer's being realistic a, a surprising yep, yep. number of capstones games as an example i think i think they're the premier publisher of strategy games in the u.s um most of their games play exactly four or five players very very well and then beyond that they don't play as well i i think um there's there's probably opportunity there but I don't think I have a good answer for how to improve the process beyond asking designers to think a little bigger. I think you're going to see more of that as we, if this ever happens, us moving away from COVID thinking, right? Right now you're seeing the running joke is every game has to have a solo mode now, right? Because there's just an expectation that someone's going to be sitting at home alone saying, I'm afraid of leaving the house right now, right? That's, That's a valid concern for some people. I think that if you had said to me four or five years ago, will there be more sidereal confluence-like games coming? Possibly. And I think that I'm hopeful there'll be more of that five, six, seven-player 
count of high strategy games coming in the in the near term. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point that you know, with COVID, you know, I, I really hope we're near the tail end of it. Obviously, there's still some stuff to do. But, you know, talking with people like at Origins or other conventions I've been to these, this year, there are lots of games people are developing that are very high player count because people are craving large groups now. They mean, we're, we're social creatures as humans for the most part, most of us. We want to be around each other. We want to experience stuff with each other. And I think lots of designers are trying to lean hard into that desire. Um, I mean, have you seen this, Andrew? I mean, we, we both do design. Have, and with your people, you know, have you seen kind of these larger player count games coming to fruition or being developed? I haven't seen anybody ask for those players because I think we're all designing in that two, three, four space where it's reasonable and, and your expectation is strong. You feel like you can sell a game at that player count. Um, I anybody is anybody that I know of specifically that is looking for that higher player count. And maybe that's a hole in the market. Some designer out there can exploit. I'm, I'm now obviously contemplating myself, whether I should be working on something like that. I know I've got my, my, my design, my, I mean, you've given us kind of an inside scoop test and like my design brain's running right now. I was like, what's, what makes a great nine player game? That's not, you know, bang or cards against humanity. What, what how do we design something that, fits into that niche of, you know, Sidereal Confluence, Twilight Imperium, that doesn't take, you know, eight hours to play. So, I mean, so it's it's an interesting space that we're in now because, you know, we're hopefully coming out of the tail end of COVID and starting to get back to some semblance of normalcy that hopefully these large player count games and me and Andrew were talking about convention games and how wonderful they are recently. Hopefully we get to the point where these games come out more and we're able to have these large player experiences together. All right. So that's enough storytelling discussion. Let's, uh, let's go to what's, let's see what's on the radar. Josh, what are you looking forward to getting a chance to play? So I am going to talk about a game called kids on bikes. Hmm. Um, any of you guys, stranger things fans. Yeah, I've seen a couple of uh, seasons. Yeah, so I'm a huge Stranger Things fan. I haven't watched season four yet because my wife doesn't like it. And when I get home from work, it's us watching TV together. Don't want to watch something that she's not going to like. Right. But uh, Stranger Things holds a very special place in my heart because it's one of those – it opened up my mind to what science fiction could be in a lot of ways. Like I love Star Wars and Star Trek and stuff like that. But Stranger Things, you know, the 80s genre of – you know, the 80s homage that it is really – uplifted me at a time when I was down and still trying to find my feet in life. It was a good little comfort. The game I'm looking forward to playing as related to that is Kids on Bikes, which is a tabletop RPG game designed by John Gilmore and Doug Lewandowski. Uh, Jonathan Gilmore, designer of lots of great games, so is um, Doug Lewandowski. They design lots of cool RPGs and board games. Um, this is them collaborating together in an RPG that's pretty much what it sounds like, a bunch of, bunch of kids on bikes. Uh, they, uh, that's a whole trope that comes with uh, that kind of 80s, 60s movies, Stephen King genre. Like, it's I say Stranger Things because, you know, it, that's kind of the most prevalent uh, show in this kind of genre that's going on. But really, this the system's about a bunch of people in a small town where extraordinary things happen. And there's an extraordinary person in their little party helping them out. Uh, you sit down as a group and as a game master, you create this little town, start establishing rumors, build characters. And... 
you take these characters through a journey where they are trying to discover something extraordinary going on. Is it an alien visiting from outer space? Is it more of a treasure hunt like in the Goonies? Is it like, hey, you want to see a dead body like Stand By Me? You go through an adventure that way. So many things you can do with it. And the system is quite wonderful. It's simple. It's inviting. Um, I, I am one of the dungeon ma- game masters for my game store that I work at. I get paid to run these different type of indie RPGs. And we're starting month-long campaigns. And this is the first one I chose because of the theme is so charming. I've been wanting to play it for a while. Now I have an excuse. I'm excited. John is an acquaintance of mine. He's helped me a lot in my development journey. So I'm excited to show, this, show off some of his work to people in my area. Kids on bikes. Uh, Justin. What's on your radar? So I just received a review copy of Circadian's Chaos Order, which is the second in a, I believe, a planned trilogy of games from Garfield Games. I reviewed the first game, um, Circadian's uh, First Light, uh, and they were kind of sent a review copy for us to take a look at, which is, I think, delivering in the next month or two for others. Um it has a completely different setup than the first game, which I'm really excited about. Um, in this version of the game, uh, players are playing as various factions um, in an area control kind of direct combat setup, which is different than the more Euro-style approach of First Light. So um, that's going to get the t- to the table this weekend, I'm sure. Uh, more Caverna coming up and a couple other things uh, from the capstone catalog are also on my radar for things uh coming soon excellent i've got uh still back to the two-player game uh lined up on my table i'm always on the lookout for a great two-player game for my wife and i especially since when we travel so we're doing a little bit of a a, a little road trip to get away a little bit for this weekend and we're taking so back two-player what i'm really excited about this one is this whole interaction that goes on the grid where you take a tile into your set collection kind of thing but the tile you take dictates the direction the marker can go for the next person to take. So if I take two down, it's going to aim at a diagonal versus if I take one down, it's going to go sideways. So you're going to make some decisions about what you're going to give access to the next player, which I'm really excited to give a chance to try. Well, awesome. I, I You know, guys, it's getting kind of hard to breathe. Air is getting stale down here. We're, we're near, the, near the, the ocean bottom. Let's say we resurface, get some fresh air. And we'll let Justin get about as to his day. Sound good? Sounds great. Thank you again, Justin, for sharing your story and joining with us. Uh, Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what you're currently working on? Um, I will be both at Gen Con and at Essenspiel, so I'm excited to get back on the road to go to conventions here in the next uh, few months. Um, and then in terms of games, yeah, lots coming. I'm, I'm, I'm about to start a another publisher profile on Pegasus Spiel, so there'll be some reviews on games from their catalog coming up on the site as well. But lots of great content. We have a, a pool of fantastic writers, and we publish every day now on Meeple Mountain, so you can visit daily, and there's always new content to check out cool and if listeners want to you know have more of justin directly they want to you know connect with you or learn more about you what can they where can they find you yeah i'm on twitter and instagram as justin bell says uh and i'm also on people mountain i'm gonna end up putting probably about 110 120 pieces up this year on the site so very easy to connect with me through 
the Meeple Mountain uh, homepage or my author page, which we'll share separately. Yeah, if it's not exactly 110, people are going to be very disappointed. Super angry. I get it. Yeah. 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 If it's, if it's not 110, I'm going to call you out and tell you what the lazy person you are, lazy reviewer, because, you know, 110, come on. That's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Tabletop Submarine. We are uh, Tabletop Sub on Twitter, and you can also find us on Discord, where if you go to uh, discord.gg backslash xv6882qw, which is ridiculous to say out loud, but that's how you can find it. That'll be in the show notes, too, below in the description. (laughs) So it'll be a lot easier for you to do it. But if you you find it just by typing it, we'll give you a thumbs up in our little welcoming channel. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Justin, thank you so much again for giving your time and going on a little bench with us. My name is Josh. And I'm Andrew. And this has been the Tabletop Submarine.